Moin and welcome to our podcast. Today, Jesper, Paul, Toby and me, Leon, are going to talk about pain. Our topics are how pain exactly works, what influences the intensity, how you can measure pain and develop strategies to deal with it. Have fun and enjoy! Pain is a complex and subjective experience that serves as a signal to your body that something might be wrong. It's not just a physical sensation, but also involves emotional and cognitive components. When your body detects potential harm or damage, specialized nerve endings called nociceptors send signals through the spinal cord to the brain where the sensation of pain is processed. There are different types of pain. You can divide these into nociceptive pain, neuropathic pain, and psychogenic pain. First, we have nociceptive pain. This is the most common type and occurs when nociceptors detect tissue damage or potential harm. It's often described as a sharp, aching or throbbing sensation. Second, we have neuropathic pain. This type of pain results from damage or malfunction in the nervous system itself. It can feel like burning, tingling or shooting sensations and might persist even after the initial injury has healed. And then there is psychogenic pain. Sometimes pain can occur without any physical cause, originating from psychological factors. It's very real to the person experiencing it, but its source is more related to emotions, stress or psychological conditions rather than physical. It's very real to the person experiencing it but its source is more related to emotions, stress, or psychological conditions. Pain isn't just about the physical aspect. It can affect emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. Chronic pain, for instance, can lead to depression, anxiety, and decreased quality of life. Pain management often involves a multifaceted approach addressing not only the physical symptoms, but also the emotional and psychological aspects to improve a person's overall well-being. Pain involves a series of complex processes that occur within the body, starting from the detection of a potential harm. Pain involves a series of complex processes that occur within the body, starting from the detection of a potentially harmful stimulus to the perception of pain in the brain. Pain involves a series of complex processes that occur within the body, starting from the detection of a potentially harmful stimulus to the perception of pain in the brain. Here's a breakdown. Specialized nerve endings detect potentially damaging stimuli like excessive heat, pressure or chemicals released from injured cells. When nociceptors are activated, they convert the detected stimuli into nerve impulses, which are basically electric signals. These travel along nerve fibers, which are built to transmit the pain. These signals reach the spinal cord, where they connect with neurons that relay the message up to the brain. Then it is sent to the thalamus, a relay station in the brain, which directs the information to different brain regions. One of these, the sensory cortex, interprets the physical aspects of pain, such as location and intensity. Other brain areas, like the limbic system, process the emotional and cognitive aspects of pain, influencing how it's perceived. The brain can modulate the pain signal, either amplifying or suppressing it through the release of neurotransmitters or hormones. The brain generates a response, such as feeling the pain, withdrawing from the source or taking actions to mitigate the pain. 
just like when you're rubbing an injury. The brain generates a response, such as feeling the pain, withdrawing from the source or taking actions to mitigate the pain. In cases of chronic pain, the nervous system might become hypersensitive, amplifying pain signals even in the absence of ongoing tissue damage. There are some factors that are influencing pain perception. You can divide these into two sections. First, we have the psychological factors, which are emotions, memories, attention and beliefs. They can significantly impact on how you experience pain. Second, we have the individual variations. Pain thresholds and tolerances differ from person to person due to genetic, cultural or personal factors. Understanding these physiological processes helps in developing strategies for pain management, whether through medication, therapies or lifestyle changes. Aiming to modulate these pathways to reduce the perception and impact of pain. What does influence the intensity of pain? The intensity of the perceived pain does not necessarily represent the actual damage your body has suffered through an injury. For example, when you cut your finger with a piece of paper, it somehow hurts really badly. On the other hand, some soldiers who lost a limb during war describe a much less intense pain than you would expect from that kind of injury. But what exactly influences the pain intensity? To begin with, I will give you two situations that may give you an idea of what could influence pain. Imagine this. It's a Monday morning, your horrible alarm clock wakes you up early for work. You're not feeling very well, your coffee machine broke down, so you drag yourself to the cellar to get some plain instant coffee. On the way there, as if the day hadn't started horribly enough, you stub your little toe against the doorframe. How does the pain feel like? On another day, a week later, you're having a day off and you start your day slowly with a cup of coffee. You've slept well and the sun is rising beautifully. Suddenly, the doorbell rings and you remember that you've bought your favorite pair of shoes online and this must be the parcel career. You walk the last few steps to the door and on the way there, you stub your little toe against the doorframe like last week. Now, again, how does the pain feel like? Do you think the pain is the same? In short, emotional factors like depression, anxiety or anger may negatively impact your pain threshold. On the other hand, positive emotions may have a positive effect. Since pain is something being processed in the brain, where all your emotions develop too, it is kind of obvious that emotions do play a role in pain perception. By feeling positive emotions, your brain releases neuronal substrates that reduce stress, which then probably eases the pain. In addition, food, water, sexual interaction or drug abuse activate dopamine neurons, which suppress emotional reactions of pain. Furthermore, the activation of the brain reward circuitry and the positive emotional state added by pleasant music reduces pain too. At last, viewing pictures of a romantic partner is also associated with the activation of this reward circuitry. Speaking of emotions, I would like to further explain the effect of fear or anxiety. First of all, there's a difference between these two similar emotions, anxiety and fear. Anxiety is defined as a status of a possible threat, which increases alertness. This emotion is shown to increase pain. Fear is an emotion initiated by a present threat. This can inhibit pain due to the activation of endogenous opioids. However, it is more complicated than that. 
the repeated experience of fear can create anticipatory anxiety, which then can increase pain perception. Also, when you expect pain, the neuronal activity in some certain areas in the brain increases, which then also leads to an increased sensation of pain. There is this running gag that you should never google your symptoms, because it will tell you that your itching arm is something life-threatening. In reality, when you have an actual diagnosis, you should inform yourself about it. Scientists believe that knowledge about one's disease can reduce anxiety and positively impact one's emotional state. This puts the patient more in control and makes the disease more predictable. Generally speaking, more knowledge correlates with better physiological adaption to a disease. Why you're scared of googling your symptoms is probably due to the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect describes a bad outcome of a situation due to negative expectations or beliefs. When you hear that your symptoms are linked to a dangerous disease, it will probably give you anxiety, reduce your controllability even more over the situation and make you more attentive to your symptoms. Two interesting experiments played with the subjective difference of pain perception due to expectation of the participants. Arndt and Klaasens wanted to find out if it makes a difference if someone tells you the pain stimulus is going to be cold or hot. The experimenter placed a cold metal bar on the neck of a participant. He then told them the pain is going to be cold or hot. The results are that whenever the experimenter told them that the bar is going to be hot, the participants reported more pain. Mostly in Arndt tried another similar experiment, where the participants had a minus 20 degrees Celsius bar placed on their hand. Along this stimulus appeared a red or a blue visual cue to see if this could make a difference in pain perception. When the stimulus appeared with a red light, the pain was reported to be more unpleasant and intense. Some ideas and information are used are from the book Explain Pain by David Butler and Lorimer Mosley. If you want to learn more about pain, I can highly recommend you this lecture. Hey there, now we are talking about some strategies to deal with pain. Probably when you experience pain, it's a big thing for you and you want to get rid of it immediately. And there are many people and groups of people want to help you if you are plagued by pain. But be careful, there could be a clinical nightmare waiting for you. The more orthodox professional helpers include doctors, surgeons, psychologists, occupational therapists and physiotherapists. Slightly less orthodox are chiropractors and osteopaths, and the non-orthodox groups include faith healers and iridologists. Within each of these medical professions there are fractions. For example, an orthopedic surgeon would stiffen your vertebrae, while a neurosurgeon might place a stimulator in your spinal cord. In the same way, there are different orientations among physiotherapists, chiropractors, osteopaths, psychologists, and so on. You need to be careful and stay in control of what is going on. Listen particularly carefully, because you will probably hear or have already heard many different explanations for your problem. This can only make things worse and cause additional confusion. Remember that your pain belongs to you alone, not to anyone else. After all, it is you who has the greatest influence of managing it and freeing yourself from it. The skills of the professionals in the various groups can help you with certain aspects of the pain problem. But 
we believe that you can do much more to manage it yourself if you understand the science behind your pain condition. We are not arguing for or against any particular professional, but we believe that the following guidelines can help you make a well-informed choice. Firstly, any long-term pain condition needs to be evaluated by a doctor. Today's medicine is very effective in diagnosing dangerous and rarely occurring problems. Next on the list, be sure that any prescripted treatment seems useful in relation to your problem. Ask the doctor or therapist if there are any scientific studies that confirm your proposed therapy. Following that, make sure that all your questions are answered to your satisfaction. In addition, avoid any dependence on any expert. You must remain in control yourself. And last but not least, always set goals that are supported by you and your doctor or therapist. These can be physical, social or professional goals where you can measure your progress in therapy. Good therapists have many different qualities. They are compassionate, enthusiastic and well-informed. They are curious about new ideas. They are experts. They help you to master your situation. Today we are diving into the complex world of pain measurement. Pain is a deeply personal and subjective experience, and measuring it is no easy task. However, healthcare professionals have developed several methods to assess it. First up, there's the visual analog scale. The scale uses face symbols ranging from smiling to grimacing faces to help patients express their level of pain. Then there's the numerical scale. This method asks the patient to rate their pain on a scale from zero meaning no pain, to 10, indicating the worst pain imaginable. Pain diaries are another tool. Patients keep a record of their pain level and activities over time, providing a comprehensive picture of pain effects their daily life. Then there are more advanced techniques like psychophysiological measurements, which measure physiological parameters such as heart rate or skin conductivity to evaluate the pain. And lastly, we have quantitative sensory testing. This method measures sensitivity to different stimuli to determine the pain threshold. Today we are focusing on the visual analog scale. This scale using faces ranging from smiling to grimacing to help patients express their level of pain. It's a simple yet effective tool that allows individuals to communicate their pain intensity without the need of words. The patient simply points to the face and best represents their current level of pain. This method is particularly useful in populations where verbal communications may be challenging such as children or individuals with language barriers. Remember, pain is a complex and subjective experience. No single tool can provide a complete picture of the person's pain. Often. Healthcare providers will use the combination of these methods to assess and manage the patient's pain effectively. As we conclude our talk on pain, big thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more insightful talks on Physiological. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Physiological is a task-based English language project 
created at Hochschule Bremen City University of Applied Sciences in association with the Languages Centre of the Universities in Bremen. Particular thanks go to the students of our physiotherapy degree course for their ideas and for their boundless enthusiasm. They prove that the magic really starts at the point where we leave our comfort zones and the future of the profession is definitely in good hands. The series was produced by Jeremy Hukwe and Elizabeth Stewart with content advice from Professor Annika Schwarz and from Philip Thies. Why not follow us now to make sure that you don't miss the next episode? See, See you, you soon! soon. episode, we'll talk about the physio education system in Brazil, Germany and the Netherlands. We found many differences in the way physiotherapy training works in these countries. We'll examine the different models in detail and compare them. For example, did you know that until the 60s only women were allowed to work as physios in Germany? We'd like to take a look at the historical background of physiotherapy in each country and examine how this has led to different standards of care.